This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery. This is Stuart Craner, and this is a Thinkers 50 podcast. Today, our guest is Andrew Kakabadze, co-author of a new book called The Five Qs, How to Survive, Thrive and Deliver Value in the Leadership Jungle. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much, Stuart. Can, can you explain the genesis of the five Q? Well, what are the five Qs and, and how you came to Certainly. Um, the five Qs are uh, IQ, meaning intelligence, EQ, emotional intelligence, PQ, which is your political skills to deal with diversity and tensions, RQ, your resilience to be able to cope with pressures and strains, and MQ, the moral quotient, uh, your ethics and how you are dealing with ethical dilemmas. So you can see that IQ and EQ are commonly understood, but to this you've added the PQ, the political dimension, resilience and and morality. So how do they fit together? At first they didn't. Um, At first I was puzzled because I was seeing um, very bright executives uh, come up with very smart statements and they needed to come up with smart statements in two areas. The first competitive advantage why do we have tensions at the top? Basically because the top management themselves cannot agree how to use the company, how to use its resources, how to position the company to gain that value in the marketplace. And the reason is there are different views on competitive advantage, how we're different and better than our competitors, and each of those views is viable. The other element that emerged is something that's not discussed very much, organization structure, or more specifically, organization design. Why should we structure the organization this way versus that way? Why should we have a divisional structure versus some other sort of structure, a matrix structure, for example? And it turned out that thinking about organization structures was even more important than competitive advantage. Because the way we organize our assets not only gives us direction, it creates a sort of mentality, attitude and mindset within the organization. So I was seeing smart executives in conflict with each other about how to position for competitive advantage and how to structure for organizational results. And the way they were doing this was not drawing upon the traditional, if you like, accepted approaches which EQ captures, which is understanding me, understanding you, understanding each other's emotions, and working our way to some sort of resolution. What I was actually watching was, at times, unwelcome political behaviour. Was saying one thing and then doing something else, saying one thing in one forum and doing something else. And I recognised that that actually became a skill. And the skill was, how do I work through the uncomfortable tensions when there is no other way to negotiate? Now, if you live in a world where different points of view exist from one year to the next on how we position ourselves competitively, and the shareholders also have a view on this, and if we live in a world where we're having to negotiate some sort of outcome where each person has an agenda to pursue, you get worn down. Uh, You become pressurised. And rather than having the view of almost the psychopathic CEO, the CEO who has this dark side, what I was watching were CEOs who were accused of being too disciplined, too disciplinarian, but in their private lives were highly vulnerable. Uh, 
uh, I noticed too many CEOs, male and female, went through divorces. They had unhappy family lives. So I noticed that it wasn't just your skills of negotiation that helped you through. It was your personal inner strength to cope with the emotional pressures to the point where that inner strength became almost like a normal, everyday feature of yourself. What tested that then was the dilemmas that certain directors have to face, particularly in operating in governance regimes in different parts of the world, which is not like your own. So what does it really mean to trade in Russia or Syria or not a good example, uh, but anywhere in the Middle East, anywhere in an African country, anywhere in South America? There, you do face a dilemma because inequalities are high and government is weak and government institutions are weak. So we face bribery, we face corruption, we face people committing to a deal and not seeing it through. And that leaves you with a moral dilemma. If we left that country, we may then earn less income as a company and may make people redundant at home. So how do we deal with our moral dilemmas when in fact living in countries where those moral dilemmas is a norm is not a norm for you? So that's how we emerged with the five Qs. It was simply observation and at first being puzzled as to why people were doing things that seemed irrational. In fact, when we looked at those individuals in detail, what they were doing was highly rational, but it did not follow the normal rules. So what you uncovered really is the kind of dark side of executive behaviour, the reality of executive behaviour. And in many ways, the way we view organisations is, is somewhat naive. I mean, you're, what, you're, what you found is very smart executives in conflict with each other instead of working together in a collaborative way, and CEOs with all sorts of problems and domestically and, and, and business-wise. So that's just that's the reality. And that is the reality. And that's what this book charts. So it's, it is the reality and how you deal with it. That is absolutely true. So it seems like the resilience is the most important of, of, of the, uh, the five Qs. The, there were three that turned out to be most important, uh, and funnily enough, the one that was consistently important from the moment you leave, if you like, your education and going to work, to the moment you become a board director and may even retire at the age of 75, 80, it turned out to be IQ. The case for putting forward that compelling argument, um, coming up with the case as to why we go one way or another, um, being attractive in the way you use evidence. That turned out to be the most important. And I found, often at meetings, listening to the CEO or the chairman speak, when they were tested on their views as to which direction to take, and they were often tested on, are you sure this is our best direction, meaning competitive advantage, and are you sure this is our best direction, meaning structure and the way we're positioning ourselves? And I found within a matter of, what, seven minutes, six minutes perhaps, someone who held such high credibility and had held it for years lost that credibility. And often it was because they misused evidence, they didn't see what was happening, they did not come up with a compelling argu argument about here's where we are now and here's where we should be in the future. So I found IQ to be the number one uh, uh, Q. Please come up with a compelling argument that convinces others 
that your future, their future is safe in your hands. Then resilience, yes, you're right. Resilience was very important. How do I deal with these pressures almost as if they are a normal everyday experience? And within that resilience uh, emerged reality, having a deeply realistic view of my organization, my context, my circumstances, people's circumstances in the organization, and capturing that reality. And capturing that reality and working through it uh, evolved a sense of maturity, being calm about situations. Crisis is not the issue, it's how we work through it step by step, bringing our people with us. And in, with that then came the political skills. Now politics has had a bad name for itself and in certain cases I can understand why. But all that politics emerged from our research is the ability to work through differences where such differences seem irreconcilable. So how do we turn the impossible to the possible? That it was just that. Sometimes by being charming, sometimes by being open, sometimes by not being charming or not being open or not being transparent, giving different messages. But your view as to what works in that context and how we engage with each other in that context, bearing in mind the agenda that I wish to pursue, turned out to be the most important thing. So it became difficult for a period to tell the difference between what is PQ and what is EQ. Because in reality, I was observing people with EQ skills, using them, if you like, in a PQ manner, pursuing an agenda. And that was their agenda. But often because their agenda was often the best way forward. So the top three Qs, IQ, RQ, and PQ. EQ was good at a more middle management level where, in fact, there wasn't such great complexity, where genuinely you could say, let's work together as a team. The objectives, the pathway have been set for us, and what we really need to do is take out the blockages between us. The question mark, and it was the interesting one, was the MQ. So much attention has been recently given to ethics, morals, the ethics of the corporation, the right way to do things. And we were seeing very good people being positioned and being acting in a way that was alien to them. Decent, family, caring individuals behaving in ways that were completely unlike them. And they repeated that in different contexts. And it didn't make any difference whether you were British, German or whoever. This was the pattern that emerged. What we found was there was, if you like, an ethical tension because, in fact, there were three morals in place. The governance moral, which we call deontology, which is this is the right thing to do. This is the way uh, compliance has been set. This is what you must do. was definitely there. And if you go from South Africa to uh, any European country or the United States, you will find distinct governance compliance requirements. But that's not the way business is done. The way business is done is basically what the philosophers call teleology, which is the greatest good for the greatest number. How am I going to make the best use of how we operate in Chile? What sort of decisions do I have to make which will be the best for myself, the best for the Chileans, the best for the supply chain? But there will be certain losers in all that. And there is a final ethical position known as relativism. In effect, when in Rome, do as Romans do. 
And here, in many ways, we can call that sales. So I'm trying to sell something in uh, any African country or in Eastern Europe. How do we do that? So what you do when your governance pushed to do one thing, the company pushes you in another way to do what is the best for the company, and you have to get the sale under those circumstances. So we have, if you like, three moral positions fighting each other, contradicting each other. And the only person that's left to try and find that muddle through is the executive. So what do many people do? They deny. They try and give something that looks nice. They try and do something that works under those circumstances. And after a while, that becomes normal. The casualty in all this is governance, funnily enough, is the deontology. This is the right thing to do irrespective of circumstances. Now, if you try to pursue that approach from the Ukraine to South America, you can't do business. You can only do business bearing in mind the context in which you find yourself. So the lowest practice of MQ was at board level where the board had to try and satisfy shareholder demands, defend the reputation of the company, defend the people in the company, and all these uh, demands were in conflict with each other. So as long as things looked right, as long as things worked, that was good enough. So the, lo the lowest level of uh, morality was at the board level? Funnily enough, yes, the highest level of verbiage about morality was at the board level. The lowest level of practice was yeah, okay. at the board level. <laughs> Andrew Kakabadzi, thank you very much. The Five Cues by Andrew and Ali Jawad is now available from Thinkers 50. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery.